Are you at all concerned it's going to cause more anger in the world? There's plenty of anger right now. How can you have more? Really? He's working on it. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. Succeeding, actually. I got the feeling that something ain't right. Oh, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast, 106.7 FM KSO in Cottage Grove, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 93 FM WLRI News Radio, in uh, Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU, the voice of Maui, In Columbus, Ohio, on WGRN 94.1 FM, the Green Renaissance Network. And in Palinville, New York, on 102.9 FM, WLPP. And lest we forget, AM 950 KTNF in Minneapolis, St. Paul, the progressive voice of Minnesota. We're also heard streaming coast-to-coast and around the globe on the intertubes. On the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Revolution 99, Detour Talk, Radio Monterey, and Radio Sputnik, blanketing planet Earth five days a week. Thanks for joining us. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly, still friendly, yes, friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com now in our 13th thrilling year thanks for joining us uh yeah i i'm i'm still your friendly uh blogger and all of that stuff but when donald trump says how can there be more anger i think he ain't seen nothing yet the uh the new white house is stoking anger it is as if they i don't know what they want i'm not even going to uh guess what it is that they want But um, Steve Bannon, President uh, Trump's chief White House strategist, uh, was on a call uh, today, Wednesday, with uh, with the New York Times and others in the media, arguing that news organizations were, quote, humiliated by an election outcome that few had anticipated. And he repeatedly described the media as the opposition party. To the current administration, the media should be embarrassed and humiliated. And he said, keep its mouth shut and just listen for a while. That's what Bannon said during the telephone call. He said, I want you to quote this. The media here is the opposition party. This is how they think. The media is the opposition party and they should keep their mouth shut. That's coming from the top political strategist at the White House. Bannon was, uh, according to the New York Times, echoing comments by Trump over the weekend when uh, when he said when Trump had said that he was in a, quote, running war with the media. This is what he said to the uh, CIA folks in front of the memorial wall, wall, as I recall, talked about a running war with the media and called journalists among the most dishonest people on Earth. 
The conversation, apparently, uh, uh, Bannon's conversation on the phone was uh, initiated, uh, apparently, initially to offer praise for Sean Spicer, the White House press secretary. He's been criticized this week for making false claims at the White House podium about the attendance of Trump's inaugural crowd, for calling reporters dishonest and lecturing them about what stories to write and for failing to disavow Trump's lie about widespread voter fraud in the election. This is the press secretary for the president of the United States, and he has not disavowed any of these lies, which we'll get to in a little bit. We've been talking about, uh, frankly, for the past couple of days. And, uh, you know, I'd love to move on. But what do you move on to uh, aside from elections and the ability for the American electorate to to choose their destiny and to throw out people like this, people who regard the media as the opposition party, and never mind if you find them the opposition party, but who would tell them to shut their mouth. (laughs) Uh, Asked if uh, he was concerned that Spicer had lost credibility with the news media, Bannon chortled, according to the Times, and said, Are you kidding me? We think that's a badge of honor, questioning his integrity. Are you kidding me? The media has zero integrity, zero intelligence, and no hard work. You're the opposition party, not the Democratic Party. You are the opposition party. The media's the opposition party. How about that, Desi Doyen? Oh, you know. That's a great way to uh, start uh, Just start your, the show. Just your eh? average weekday. Yeah. It hasn't even been a week yet, and they're already uh, slamming the uh, things that are just basic democratic values. You know, pshaw. Uh, constitutional, basic constitutional values like a free press. Constitution, schmanstitution. You know, and, and I, uh, you know, I have plenty of problems with the press, uh, and I call them out constantly, all the time. Uh, for the past 12 years, going on 13 now, but uh, to tell them to shut their mouth. Um, anyway, uh, kind of amazing uh, is as just the next day of, of an amazing week and an amazing year that continues. Chris Hayes of MSNBC tweeted yesterday. He said every day feels like 10 days. I think he's got it about right every single day, Uh, especially when it comes to uh, the Trump administration, not just their war on the media, not just their war on democracy, but their war on science, which uh, got underway almost immediately after he was sworn in last Friday. Uh, We'll catch you up on all the fun that you missed uh, since last Friday or the fun that maybe you wish you missed uh, in just the first, what, five days or so of the Trump era in regard to that war on science in our Green News report coming up later with Desi Doyen. Uh, but before we uh, get on, uh, not in time for our latest Green News report, more oil spills. And this comes in the wake of uh, Trump approving these new or at least trying to giving the go ahead for the uh, Dakota Access Pipeline and the Keystone XL Pipeline. And even as he does this week, more spills. Uh, the latest one today up in Iowa, Des? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's a rupture of 138,000 gallons of oil up in Iowa. It's in Worth County, which is in northern Iowa. It's uh, gallons of diesel fuel. It's uh, by a pipeline owned by Magellan Midstream Partners. They're based in Oklahoma, and uh, they acknowledge the spill started on Wednesday morning. They don't know of the cause yet at this time. They say so far, according to the, uh, the Department of Natural Resources, mm-hmm. that's the state agency and the pipeline company say that it doesn't appear 
appear to threaten any waterways just yet. But uh, one thing that was noticed uh, by Greenpeace, uh, their researcher, Jesse Coleman, he says that uh, that more than 7 million gallons of oil were spilled by more than 1,000 pipeline leaks between since 2010. Mm. And the problem with this is that, quote, you can never really rehabilitate an area that got soaked in gasoline. The, even this spill cannot be cleaned up. This gives you an idea of what will happen when the Dakota Access Pipeline or the Keystone XL Pipeline leaks because these things are irreversible. And both of both of which are huge, huge yes. pipelines. They're not the, some They're of these small ones. Three foot wide pipelines. Three foot wide. Uh, yeah. And uh, that was Iowa. And, and that followed on. We had another spill, as I recall, up in Canada. Yeah, we didn't have time to cover that, all this because yeah. so much has been going on. But yes, up in southeast Saskatchewan, Canada, 50,000 gallons were spilled from a relatively new pipeline only 19 years old it uh, it spilled in the ocean man first nations reservation so again native american lands taking the sacrifice um they don't know how large it is yet exactly of course you know as we've said many times before the first estimates of these pipeline spills are always underestimated Mm -hmm. but right now it's supposed to be 50,000 gallons it's the second large spill in six months in Saskatchewan from a pipeline. So that's going on, but let's build these great big two new huge pipelines uh, because we'd hate to hurt the economy, never mind the, uh, you know, the environment, natural resources, uh, never mind that uh, James Hansen, the former lead scientist at NASA, had said that exploiting the the tar sands pipelines up, uh, pipeline um, I'm sorry, the tar sands oil up in uh, up in Alberta, Canada, with the Keystone XL pipeline would be game over for the climate. Never mind that. There is oil to be pumped and money to be made. And there's a particular thing to note about this, uh, just quickly, that this is the Trump administration pitting labor against environmentalists. He made a very special deal, it sounds like, with uh, the Pipefitters Union up in uh, North Dakota. They were very happy about this. So they think it's more jobs, and they are not really caring about what the environmentalists have to say. Hey, how about all those those jobs for cleanup workers when these things spill? See, that's just good for it's just good for the economy. So how how could people be any angrier, Mr. Trump? Keep asking. I think you'll find out. Uh, speaking of angry people, uh, in light of uh, Donald Trump's executive action calling for the construction of a border wall between the U.S. and Mexico, I think that was just yesterday, uh, which which the U.S. taxpayer, by the way, will pay for, not Mexico. Uh, Mexican President Enrique Peña Nieto today canceled his planned trip to Washington, D.C. to meet with President Trump as our longtime relationship with one of the U.S.'s closest allies and largest trading partners continues to erode less than a full week, less than a full week into the new presidential administration. Seems like it's been much longer than a week, but we're just now uh, not even at a full week. This comes as uh, the State Department's entire senior management team just resigned, according to Josh Rogan today at Washington Post. Secretary of State Rex Tillerson's job running, and I should say ExxonMobil CEO until recently, uh, Rex Tillerson, his job running the State Department just got considerably more difficult. The entire senior level of management Officials uh, resigned on Wednesday, part of an ongoing mass exodus of senior Foreign Service officers. Wednesday morning, the Trump team was narrowing its search for his uh, number two, for Rex Tillerson's number two at the State Department. And that 
Uh, it was looking to replace the State Department's long-serving Undersecretary for Management, Patrick Kennedy. Kennedy, who has been in that job for nine years, was actively involved in the transition, was angling to keep that job under Tillerson, three State Department officials told Rogan. Then suddenly on Wednesday afternoon, Kennedy and three of his top officials resigned unexpectedly. Four State Department officials uh, confirmed this with uh, to Rogan uh, this morning. Uh, Assistant Secretary of State for Administration Joyce Ann Barr, Assistant Secretary of State for Consular Affairs Michelle Bond, and Ambassador Gentry Smith, Director of the Office of Foreign Missions, followed Kennedy out the door. All our career foreign service officers who have served under both Republican and Democratic administrations. David Wade, who served as the State Department chief of staff under Secretary of State John Kerry, said that this is, quote, the biggest single simultaneous departure of institutional memory that anyone can remember. And that's incredibly difficult to replicate, he said. Department expertise in security, management, administrative, and consular positions in particular are very difficult to replicate and particularly difficult to find in the private sector. Several senior foreign service officers in the State Department's regional bureaus have also left their posts or resigned since the election, but the emptying of leadership in the management bureaus is more disruptive because those offices need to be led by people who know the department and have experience running its complicated bureaucracies. There's no easy way to replace that via the private sector, according to Wade. He said uh, diplomatic security, consular affairs, there's just not a corollary that exists outside the department. And you can least afford a learning curve in these areas where issues can quickly become matters of life and death, he said. These are very difficult people to replace. Uh, Yeah, they are. And they were serving at a State Department, which is being run by a guy, Rex Tillerson, who has absolutely zero experience in government, uh, in in bureaucratic diplomacy, I guess is the way to put it. Bureaucratic law. Bureaucratic law. Diplomatic law. I mean, there are things that, yes, you learn as a CEO dealing with foreign countries, and I'm sure that Rex Tillerson has a lot of experience in talking with foreign countries, but he has no experience in understanding diplomatic law. Ambassador Richard Boucher, uh, who served as State Department spokesman for Colin Powell and Condoleezza Rice, both, both Republicans, if you don't remember, said that traditionally senior officials work with the new team that comes in to see who should stay on in their roles, what other jobs might be available. But that is not what happened this time. You don't quote, you don't run foreign policy by making statements. You run it with thousands of people working to implement programs every day. Boucher said to undercut that is to undercut the institution. And that apparently is uh, what Trump is uh, hoping To do, because that is what he is doing. And I should add, CNN had a follow up report here today. The question was, you know, were these uh, uh, were these officials, were they pushed or did they quit? Uh, The um, quote uh, CNN reports, any implication that these four people quit is wrong said one st- a senior State Department official. These people are loyal to the secretary, the president, and to the State Department. There is just not any attempt here to diss the president. People are not quitting and running away in disgust. This is the White House cleaning house, the State Department official said. 
The firings leave a huge management hole at the State Department with a combined 150 years of institutional experience among all of those uh, those four named officials. 150 years of institutional experience out the door. A second official echoed that the move appeared to be an effort by the new administration to, quote, clean house among the State Department's top leadership. And the problem with that is that it allows more opportunity for grifters and opportunists to slip in and use the State Department mechanisms to benefit themselves. To for slip, in, slip in. They to, were elected. To walk in, they right. were, they were, <laughs> the, the, these are the guys. These are the guys running it. The grifters are in charge. Now, this news about losing 150 years of institutional memory, the top leadership at the State Department, this comes the day after we, we reported on yesterday's uh, show a, a chilling story uh, the, the, of North Korea, which has now vowed to test an intercontinental nuclear ballistic missile in uh, in coming days, according to an official, a North Korean official on the record to NBC News yesterday. A missile that could, uh, well, could reach us here in Los Angeles. A nuclear-tipped missile. What could possibly go and wrong? And they plan to test it, and they say that uh, uh, Trump has been provocative in his language, and not just Trump. Uh, going back with Obama, they compared you know exercises that are carried out in South Korea uh, with uh, joint exercises with the U.S. and South Korea. They the uh, this uh, official said, "Well, imagine what it would be like if North Korea uh, did exercises uh, with, with Canada or with Mexico on your border." Uh, with with nuclear weapons. That was the comparison. And of course, uh, I'm sure Donald Trump will handle this diplomatically easy. We won't have to worry about this. He'll handle this situation well. Yes, this is the time when we could really use some skilled diplomats at the helm. And they have now fired those skilled diplomats, those diplomats who have dealt with uh, North Korea, who understand at least as best as it can be what the hell is actually going on in North Korea. But perhaps that's just part of the reason that the uh, Bulletin of, uh, of Atomic Scientists uh, has announced uh, today that the board, the Science and Security Board at the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists announced today that for the first time in the 70-year history of the Doomsday Clock, the board has moved the hands of the iconic clock 30 seconds closer to midnight. In their uh, statement today, they say uh, that in the 2017 Doomsday Clock statement, uh, the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists notes that the world leaders have failed to come to grips with humanity's most pressing existential threats, nuclear weapons and climate change. Disturbing comments about the use uh, and proliferation of nuclear weapons made by Donald Trump, as well as the expressed disbelief in the overwhelming scientific consensus on climate change by both Trump and several of his cabinet appointees, affected the board's decision, as did the emergence of strident nationalism worldwide. Rachel Bronson, uh, executive director and publisher of the Bulletin, who participated in the uh, in a media event today at the National Press Club in Washington, D.C., said that uh, as we marked the 70th anniversary of the doomsday clock, this year's clock deliberations felt more urgent than usual as trusted sources of information came under attack. Fake news was on the rise and words were used by a president-elect of the United States in cavalier and often reckless ways to address the twin threats of nuclear weapons 
and climate change. Here's a, a bit from uh, who is this speaking? At this the, is uh, uh, this is retired Navy Rear Admiral David Titley. He's a meteorologist for the Navy, and then when he retired, he went to the Penn State Meteorological uh, College unit. So, and he is- spoke today at this uh, at this announcement about the uh, the doomsday clock moving 30 seconds closer to midnight. Climate change should not be a partisan issue. The well-established physics of the Earth's carbon cycle is neither liberal nor conservative in character. The planet will continue to warm to ultimately dangerous levels so long as carbon dioxide continues to be pumped into the atmosphere, irrespective of political leadership. The current political situation in the United States is of particular concern. The Trump administration needs to state clearly and unequivocally that it accepts climate change caused by human activity as reality. No problem can be solved unless its existence is first recognized. There are no alternative facts here. The United States is a very first step, needs to make clear, unequivocal statements in the Trump administration that it accepts climate change. It's caused by human activity as a scientific reality. Alternative facts will not make the challenges of climate change magically go away. So that was a tree hugger, lefty, hippie. What's his name? (laughs) Rear Admiral David Titley. Uh, who was uh, talking about climate change as uh, one of the two reasons, at least two reasons, that they're moving the doomsday clock closer now to midnight, to two and a half minutes to midnight, as they say it. Their statement concludes, For the last two years, the minute hand of the doomsday clock stayed set at three minutes before the hour, the closest it had been to midnight since the early 1980s. In its two most recent annual announcements on the clock, The Science and Security Board warned the probability of global catastrophe is very high and the actions needed to reduce the risks of disaster must be taken very soon. In 2017, we find the danger to be even greater, the need for action more urgent. It is two and a half minutes to midnight. The clock is ticking. Global danger looms. Wise public officials should act immediately, guiding humanity away from the brink. If they do not, wise citizens must step forward and lead the way. Well, uh, wise public officials are being purged from the uh, from the government, from the administration, from the uh, executive agencies like the State Department, like the EPA, like the Department of Interior and others. So it's, uh, it's a question of how much they will be able to uh, step forward, even if they uh, even if they wanted to act immediately. As to wise citizens stepping forward and leading the way in their absence, well, um, that's a question we're going to talk about next and the ability for those citizens to step forward and lead the way. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast, both brought to you without corporate or political influence. Why? Because we rely on you to help keep us completely independent. Please drop by bradblog.com slash donate today and help us stay on your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com slash donate. You'll thank yourself later. I'll thank you now.
Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Yeah, don't fear the reaper. Uh, kind of appropriate. Yes, fear the reaper. Fear the reaper. <laughs> We've been talking uh, this week about uh, Donald Trump's uh, stupid, false allegations of voter fraud. Millions and millions of uh, three to five million illegal votes cast in the in the 2016 election that uh, that he won. He won despite the fact that there were three to five million illegal votes, he says, without any evidence whatsoever. So where does he get this idea? Where does this even come from? Well, we have uh, a, a, a bit of a clue now. A little bit more of a clue other than from, you know, Fox News, where he gets pretty much everything. He sees stuff and then goes out and just repeats literally repeats what he called uh, Chelsea Manning a traitor today on Twitter. Just moments after Fox News uh, described traitor Manning, he went out and said traitor Manning on on Twitter. That's where he gets his news. That's where he gets his facts. That's where he gets his alternative facts. And it does not even occur to him that uh, that that Fox News is largely anything but facts. Not only does it not occur to him, he thinks they are. He that was part of his argument uh, in this uh, conversation with David Muir on um, I think it was uh, yesterday of ABC News. We're going to play a little bit of that in a moment. But that was part of his argument to David Muir that uh, the mainstream media, the, the rest of the media, they got it all wrong. ABC News got it all wrong. You need to look at Fox News. Fox News was the only one who covered his inauguration accurately. I don't know how Fox News covered it. Uh, maybe they lied uh, the way Trump has been lying, that it was the uh, largest audience ever seen in the history of the earth or whatever the hell he has been saying. Um, but so, he, yeah, he proudly, uh, he, he proudly, you know, cites whatever Fox News says, does not ask questions, does not bother to look at uh, any sort of independently verifiable material. And that would be normal for, uh, you know, some Joe Schmo from... You know, from the public, a pundit, whatever. But the man is now president of the United States and he is making policy, huge policy that is going to affect you and me and the ability to throw the bums out. So where does that information come from? This uh, this this nonsense about three to five million fraudulent votes cast in the election? Well, we got a clue on uh, <laughs> that's coming, still coming out of this meeting on Monday when Trump gathered House and Senate leaders uh, for a get-to-know-you reception, which kicked off this, this whole, all of this nonsense about this major investigation that is now going to have to happen into voter fraud. Um, so he, uh, according to the New York Times, Glenn Thrush, here's what happened. He, he launched into a story that was meant to illustrate what he believes to be rampant, unchecked voter fraud, nearly at the top of the meeting. He repeated his uh, debunked claim that he would have won the popular vote if not for three to five million ballots cast by, quote, illegals. That would be non-citizens. He followed it up with a Twitter post early on Wednesday calling for this major investigation. And then when one of the Democrats protested at this meeting, Trump said he was told a story by, quote, the very famous golfer Bernard Langer, whom he described as a friend, according to three staff members who were in the room for this meeting. The three witnesses recalled Langer being the protagonist of this story. 
Although a White House official claimed to uh, the New York Times that the president had been telling a story relayed to the golfer by one of Langer's friends. In any event, the witness described the story this way. Langer, a 59-year-old native of Bavaria, Germany, a winner of the Masters twice in more than 100 events on major professional golf tours around the world, was standing in line at a polling place near his home in Florida on Election Day, according to the president in this meeting, when an official informed Langer that he would not be able to vote. Ahead of Langer, uh, and head and behind of Langer were voters who did not look as if they should be allowed to vote, Trump said. But they were nonetheless permitted to cast provisional ballots. The president threw out the names of Latin American countries that the voters might have come from. I guess that's how you can tell whether someone deserves to vote or not the way they look. Uh <laughs> Langer, uh, who uh, Trump described as a supporter, left feeling very frustrated, according to the uh, to the version of events from the people who heard this story. The anecdote, uh, those aides said, was greeted with silence and Trump was prodded to change the subject by Reince Priebus, the uh, White House chief of staff and Senator John Cornyn, uh, who was uh, a Republican of Texas, who was uh, one of the leaders at the meeting. There's just one problem, says Glenn Thrush at The New York Times. Langer, who lives in Boca Raton, Florida, is a German citizen with permanent residence status in the United States, who is therefore barred by law from voting at all. That according to Langer's daughter, Christina. Uh, she was reached by uh, by phone uh, by The New York Times and said he is a citizen of Germany. He is not a friend of President Trump's, and I don't know why he would talk about him. But uh, a senior White House staff member who was not at the Monday reception has heard Trump tell that story before and says that DeLanger saw Trump in Florida during the Thanksgiving break and told him the story of a friend of Langer's who had been blocked from voting. So this comes from Trump, who got it from uh, Langer, who got it from a friend. And on that is how he's decided that there are millions and millions of non-citizens casting votes, at least according to the telling of this story. The story, uh, the aide added, uh, when he heard it from Langer, had made a big impression on Mr. Trump. Well, now uh, Langer, because of all of this, had to put out a statement <laughs> in response. Uh, it says he saw no voting fraud at all and that he says he never, ever talked to Donald Trump. Here's the statement. Unfortunately, the report in The New York Times and other news outlets was a mischaracterization by the media. The voting situation reported was not conveyed from me to President Trump, but rather was told to me by a friend. He says, I then relayed the story in conversation with another friend who shared it with a person with ties to the White House. From there, this was misconstrued. He says, I am not a citizen of the United States and cannot vote. It's a privilege to live in the U in the U.S. and I'm blessed to call America my home. I will have no further comment at this time. So uh, the, the Times points out that if the anecdote uh, was important to Trump's erroneous belief that millions of illegal immigrants gave Hillary Clinton her 2.8 million ballot win in the popular vote, it was based on, I guess, doing the math here, fourth hand information. At least fourth hand, if not maybe fifth or possibly even sixth. 
And it is that uh, fourth-hand information and uh, otherwise uh, claims that are disprovable, and we'll, we'll play some of this and, and show how it's absolutely uh, you know, proven to be wrong. It's very easy to figure out that he is either the Trump is either lying or doesn't know what he's talking about or both. But uh, before we get, uh, get to this audio, let me just point out, we mentioned uh, yesterday uh, on on the broadcast uh, that both Stephen Bannon, the one who called the media today uh, the opposition party and told them they should shut their mouth. Steve Bannon, the top political uh, official in the White House for Donald Trump, uh, both Steve Bannon and Steve Mnuchin, the uh, the Treasury Secretary nominee, uh, both of them were registered in two different states at once, as was reported yesterday. Uh, their top officials. So keep that in mind, because Donald Trump is claiming that one of the problems is people who are registered in two different states, that they are out there committing voter fraud. That's why we have three to five million illegal votes cast in the last election, which we do not. So uh, both both of those two Steves. And now we have this from uh, Heat Street. This was uh, Joy Reid of MSNBC cited this on on Twitter yesterday. Donald Trump announced Wednesday that he would request an investigation into voter fraud and, quote, including those registered to vote in two states. But the new president's own daughter, Tiffany Trump, is registered to vote in both Pennsylvania and New York. Now, it should be noted Uh, There is nothing illegal about that. It's only illegal if you actually vote in more than one of those two places. Tiffany Trump lived in Philadelphia while attending the University of Pennsylvania. Uh, She graduated in uh, in May. Uh, Fred Voigt, the deputy election commissioner from Philadelphia, said that it was very common for college students to be registered both where they live and where they go to school because they don't call their old you know, their old state after they've moved to cancel their registration. Most people do not do that. And furthermore, almost nobody does uh, cancels their registration after they die. Very, very few people actually call the registrar to let them know they have died. So, yeah, there are a lot of dead people who are also on the rolls. According to public records, uh, Tiffany Trump cast her vote in November uh, in New York City. She did not vote in Pennsylvania, so she did not violate the law. The spokesman for the New York City Board of Education, uh, I'm sorry, Board of Elections, also confirmed that there was no legal problem with Tiffany Trump registered as a voter in both states. And yet that seems to be what Donald Trump is now hanging his claims on. For all of this voter fraud, here was uh, here was Trump yesterday with David Muir of ABC in kind of a crazy interview. (laughs) Big surprise. But specifically uh, the back and forth on the uh, on the voter fraud investigation. And then we'll we'll do some fact checking for you. You have people that are registered who are dead, who are illegals who are in two states. You have people registered in two states. They're registered in a New York and a New Jersey. They vote twice. There are millions of votes, in my opinion. Now, I'm going to do an investigation. You're David, now, David, you're, David, now David. Pr- you're now president of David, the United States. I'm, when you well, say of course, it's, it's, and I want the we, voting process to be legitimate. But now, what I'm asking, what I'm asking, when, that, when you say, in your opinion, millions of illegal votes, 
that is something that is extremely fundamental to our functioning democracy, a sure. fair and free sure. election. Sure. You say you're going to launch an investigation sure. into this. Done. What you have presented so far has been debunked. It's been called has false. It? I Take called, a look at the Pew reports. I called the author of the Pew report last night. And he told me that they found no evidence really? of voter then fraud. Really? Then why did he write the report? He said no evidence of voter Excuse fraud. Me. Then why did he write the report? So According I guess to Pew report, then he's then he's groveling again. You know, I always talk about the reporters that grovel when they want to write something that you want to hear, but not necessarily millions of people want to hear or have to hear. So because you've launched an is, investigation. We're going to launch an investigation to find out, and then the next time. And and I will say this: of those votes cast, none of them come to me. None of them come to me. They would all be for the other side. None of them come to me. But when you look at the people that are registered, dead, illegal, and two states, in some cases maybe three states, uh, we have a lot to look into. Yeah, we have a lot to look into. Uh, he has a lot to look into. This, uh, the, the number of uh, falsehoods, I'm sorry, the number of lies that the president of the United States just told in that interview are somewhat astounding. All right. He talked about uh, people who are registered twice, voting twice, uh, and he cited as his source for that, not his daughter, who was registered twice, but uh, the, the Pew report. And then he went about. Uh, disparaging the author of that report because the author of that report has since said no, there's no uh, rampant voter fraud in elections. The Pew report itself does not uh, talk about that at all. David Becker is the author of that report and has rejected this notion repeatedly, this 2012 report from Pew. And now Donald Trump is saying that, uh, well, he's he's groveling now. That's what people in the media do when they're called out. Why did he write the report? Well, I have the report right here in my hands. It's called Inaccurate, Costly and Inefficient Evidence that America's Voter Registration System Needs an Upgrade. And it talks about uh, the fact that there are uh, millions of voter registrations in the U.S. that are no longer valid or are significantly inaccurate, that there are 1.8 million deceased individuals listed as voters because, you know, again, the dead people don't tend to call the registrar's office to ask them to be removed. And that uh, a little bit more than uh, two, uh, 2.75 million people have registrations in more than one state. So that's where they get these uh, numbers from. And again, these are what we refer to them as, as deadwood on the voting rolls that they need to be cleaned out periodically. And this report uh, says that we need to upgrade. We need to upgrade America's voter registration system. And it basically argues for online voter registration and computer databases that, uh, you know, can uh, travel around. If you move from state to state, your voter registration can move with you, essentially for universal registration. And I looked through the report for the word fraud. It's not. Well, it's there once. It's there one time. It says nothing about voter fraud. It's the, the word fraud itself is in the report one time. It says the inability of this paper-based process to keep up with voters as they move or die can lead to problems with the rolls, including the perception that they lack integrity or could be susceptible to fraud. That's it in the entire report. That's the only time the word fraud comes up. So why did the author say it in the report? Well, he didn't. He didn't say it. 
Why are you using a report that doesn't say what you said it did, Mr. Trump? Well, because you didn't read it, because you heard it on Fox News and you just repeated whatever BS it was that you heard and you didn't bother to even check it. You didn't even bother. You didn't even bother to look into it. And now you're president of the United States and now you're setting policy based on what nonsense you heard on Fox News and never bothered Never bothered to check it out. Furthermore, he said, uh, as you heard in that uh, in that interview, that uh, all of those votes is three to five million votes. Those were Hillary votes, he said. And if you look at it, they all voted for Hillary. They all voted for Hillary. They didn't vote for me. I don't believe I got one. Okay, these are people that voted for Hillary Clinton. And if they didn't vote, it would have been different in uh, in the popular vote. Well, that is also an unbelievable lie. We, we, we do know of a few cases, a very few cases, a handful of cases uh, that were reported in the lead up to the election and in the days afterwards in which there were people who uh, did things like double voting. And here's what we know. We, and we covered this story uh, in early December. We got to cover it again. And we're going to keep covering it because this is the only goddamn way that you change your government. When you're able to go in and cast your vote freely and fairly and you're able to have that vote counted and counted accurately and counted accurately in a way that you know that it has been counted accurately. So if he is attacking the voting system, he is attacking you and I. And I'm not going to stand for it. Well, at least I'm going to sit here for it and I'm going to let you know uh, exactly how he is lying and how he is trying to trying to use this nonsense ripped off of the Fox News uh, television screen to lie to you and the American public. OK, so as of December, there were four cases, four verified cases of, uh, of, of voter fraud at the polling place. A woman in Iowa who voted twice. Terry Lynn wrote she uh, she was uh, the candidate that she supported, according to Philip Bump at The Washington Post, Donald Trump. He had been drawing attention to uh, fraud cases at the time, so wrote decided to try to vote twice in Des Moines and she got caught. And the case made national headlines at the time. She suggested that the fault was uh, lays with Donald Trump because he was saying, uh, well, she said the polls are rigged. The polls are rigged. She said to a local radio station by way of explaining her multiple votes. That's one. Another was a man in Texas, Philip Cook. He was arrested on Election Day after voting twice. He claimed to be an employee of Trump's campaign who was testing the security of the electoral system, but he wasn't an employee of the campaign. And the polling location security worked perfectly well, apparently, because it caught Philip Cook, Donald Trump voter, uh, voting twice. Then there was a woman who cast a ballot on behalf of her dead husband, Audrey Cook. She is a Republican election judge in Illinois. She and her husband applied for absentee ballots because he was sick. He died before completing his ballot, so she filled it out for him and she sent it in. And that ballot will not be counted. So there's another uh, another case of voter fraud for you. And yes, they weren't for Hillary. Uh, well, unless the Republican election judge in Illinois decided to vote for Hillary Clinton. And then uh, the fourth instance that we had as of December, a woman in Florida who marked absentee ballots. Uh, Gladys Coego was hired to open absentee ballots in Miami-Dade County. This is one of the reasons why I always warn people don't vote by mail. Don't vote absentee unless you must. 
Uh, she was hired to open absentee ballots in Miami-Dade County. One of her co-workers noticed that she was going a step further and filling in the bubble for a mayoral candidate with a pen uh, that she had in her purse. She was caught in the act and arrested, however, and there's no evidence that she was able to change any presidential votes. That was that was it. That's what we had as of uh, December. Maybe there's been more since. Uh, I haven't seen them. Uh, there are, you know, some uh, cases. There always is uh, voter... Uh, Mail fraud, absentee ballot fraud. Um, but uh, as far as people illegally voting at the polls, which they are going to try to uh, institute ID laws to keep people from being able to make it harder for people to vote. No, we, we just don't have those instances. We just don't. And no, there is no evidence, no matter how many times he cites the Pew report, no matter how many times Sean Spicer, White House press secretary, cites the uh, the Pew report. No, we do not have it. But I've often but I've been warning over the past week, you know, uh, don't pay attention to what he says. Pay attention to what he does. Well, now um, the the appointments that he's making at the Department of Justice, we know that uh, Jeff Sessions, who is. Uh, been nominated. I don't think he's yet been confirmed, but he's been nominated to uh, to be the attorney general. He actually one of the reasons he did not win or was not confirmed to become a judge in the 80s under Ronald Reagan was because when he served as the U.S. attorney in Alabama, he actually brought fraud charges against voting rights advocates, civil rights advocates, one of them who had been a, a very close uh, uh, supporter and worker and friend of Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, And those uh, charges were thrown out. They were found not guilty. Uh, But they are more than happy to go up against these people uh, in order to scare them into uh, into not voting, in order to change the laws, to make it harder for them to vote. That's Jeff Sessions. Well, uh, under uh, Barack Obama, the Justice Department spent a lot of time battling those photo ID voting restrictions in places like Texas and North Carolina and Wisconsin and so forth. And now, according to. The Huffington Post, Ryan Riley over there, the acting head of the department's civil rights division is a Republican attorney who offered Texas officials guidance as they wrote the disputed Texas law. It's not just disputed, by the way. It was found to be a violation of the Voting Rights Act. It was also found to be unconstitutional. Thomas Wheeler, an Indiana lawyer who previously served as general counsel to Vice President Mike Pence when Pence was governor of Indiana, was named the acting head of the Civil Rights Division this week. For the time being, he's the person charged with overseeing the implementation of of federal law concerning uh, concerning voting, uh, police conduct, housing discrimination and disability rights. He heads a division full of employees with very big worries about the future of civil rights enforcement. Now, uh, the, the Obama administration, as I said, uh, this the, the Texas law was signed initially by uh, uh, Rick Perry, who has been, now been named energy secretary by Donald Trump. The, the law was found to have not only been discriminatory, but it was passed with explicit, explicitly to discriminate. And right now the question is, was it done with that intent or did that just happen? Did it just happen to discriminate against racial minorities like black and Latino voters? Well, this guy, Thomas Wheeler, who's now going to head up the Civil Rights Division, at least for now, uh, had advised the state of Texas on how to uh, how to fight that lawsuit. 
how to fight the lawsuit by the Department of Justice. And now he's going to be running the Civil Rights Division at the uh, at the Department of Justice. And yes, the Trump White House is now threatening to go all in on these voter ID laws. They are going to be calling for a national photo ID voting restriction, which, as we have been reporting for a decade, uh, means that uh, anywhere from 20 to 30 million Americans would not be able to cast a vote. 20 to 30 million, uh, most of whom are legally registered, have been voting for decades and would not be able to vote under a national photo ID requirement. Does Donald Trump care? No, he doesn't, because on Fox News, they don't care. Therefore, neither does Donald Trump. This is where we go from Trump taking a mangled anecdote that he heard third hand and turning it into a national policy that will disenfranchise 30 to 40 million people and prevent them from being able to change their government when the time comes. That's where we're at. That's where we're at. That's why this matters. That's why the federal government matters. That's why the officials who work at the federal government matters. That's why elections matter. That's why voting matters. And I guess that's why the broadcast matters. We'll see. Quick break, and we're back with our latest Green News report. More disturbing stuff like this. Whee! The doomsday clock moves forward. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your broadcast. <laughs> Hey, this is Brad. What the public hears over the public airwaves matters. Without an informed electorate, we've got, well, we got what we have right now. We do our best on the broadcast five days a week to balance that with accurate reporting on issues that actually matter. We don't always get it right, but we try like hell to do so. And we do it all independently and without the influence of corporate or political funding. But we can't do it without you. Please don't presume others will step up. We need you to help us keep doing what Desi Doyen and myself try to do every day on the broadcast. Please help us continue to do so by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep the broadcast going and telling the truth over your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com donate. Don't wait. Please stop by today. Thanks. We'll be melting with the new president of the United States, I'm afraid. Welcome back to the broadcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Uh, Matt Oyer asks over at uh, Facebook, and I uh, encourage you to leave us comments at the Facebook and the Twitters in both places. We can fa- be found at the Brad blog. Uh, Matt asks, what are we going to do, Brad? What are we going to do? I don't know. I can't sugarcoat it. I don't know. What I know is that you need to know what is going on. You need to be able to counter these lies so that you can take appropriate action, whatever that action may be, whether it's protesting, whether it's calling your Congress member. You can call your Congress member at 202-224-3121, including if they're Democrats, and tell them to stand up against this nonsense because I don't think Democrats are properly standing up against this nonsense. Even now, even still, I don't think they understand it. I don't think they understand the what's going on, what is being done against them. 
So uh, I don't know what to do. My uh, my mission here is to inform you, and then what you do with that information is up to you. Speaking of which, we got to get to the information uh, in, I know, running late, in our latest Green News report. We'll see if we can get that pipeline built. It begins. Trump relaunches controversial Keystone XL and Dakota Access pipelines. Team Trump imposes gag orders and lockdowns on science-based federal agencies. Plus, do you agree that the United States is indispensable and must maintain its leadership in the Paris Agreement in order to ensure that countries abide by their climate obligations? New U.S. ambassador to United Nations won't commit to supporting United Nations Paris Agreement. All of that lack of commitment and more straight ahead from Bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. I am, to a large extent, an environmentalist. I believe in it. But it's out of control. Totally out of control. Environmentalists control everything in this country. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, first Green News report of the Trump era, and it comes after a weekend when some 20 Americans were killed in extreme weather in uh, Georgia, in Mississippi, over the weekend. And once again, I'm just thinking to myself, well, good thing those people weren't killed by terrorism we'd have to do something about it. Yes, sadly, that that sounds exactly true. Well, now the science community is holding its collective breath, making copies of databases and preparing to march and take other actions in response to the new presidential administration's expected war on science. Immediately after Donald Trump's swearing in last week, the Trump administration began targeting federal government agencies that oversee environment and climate issues by silencing communications from the Environmental Protection Agency, the Departments of Interior, Health and Human Services, Transportation, and Agriculture. The Trump administration deleted the Obama White House webpages on climate change and renewable energy and replaced them with a statement they call the America First Energy Plan, focused on expanding fossil fuel extraction and repealing regulations. Then the Trump administration retaliated against the National Park Service. Because, of course, they did. Yes, for tweeting photos showing inauguration crowd sizes on the National Mall, which is in its jurisdiction, and temporarily shut down all of the Interior Department's Twitter accounts department-wide, including emergency alerts on weather conditions. Then the EPA was locked down. That's according to an internal EPA employee email obtained by Huffington Post. It imposed a gag order on all outside EPA communications with the public and the press. All of EPA's grants and contracts that serve core agency functions have also been frozen. Things like toxic cleanups and water system repairs. Then on Wednesday, the Trump team announced that all new studies and data from EPA scientists must be approved by political appointees before release, restrictions that former EPA staffers say far exceed the approaches of past administrations. And that's saying something, because during the George W. Bush administration, there were whistleblowers who stepped forward talking about how the administration would not release scientific reports until they had 
basically gutted all the science out from them. Exactly. Climate change info on the EPA's website is still accessible for now. The Trump team backtracked on a reported plan to delete the information after a public outcry, but will review and freshen up that existing data. Some of that data is required to remain public by law. Actually, I think the word they used was scrubbing up. Even worse. Yeah, indeed. U.S. scientists are feverishly downloading EPA databases to outside servers before any further scrubbing can be made and have announced a scientist's march on Washington later this spring, similar to the Women's March over Inauguration Weekend. Spontaneous emergency protests broke out outside the White House and in major cities across the country after Mr. Trump on Tuesday signed two presidential memoranda clearing the way forward for two hugely controversial pipelines. The Keystone XL pipeline across the Canadian border that was rejected by President Obama last year because of its climate impacts, and the Dakota Access Pipeline that threatens the drinking water of the Standing Rock Sioux Reservation in North Dakota. Both the Standing Rock Sioux and Nebraska landowners along the Keystone XL Pipeline route have vowed to fight each pipeline in court. I know there are a lot of folks who are still going to fight this, both in South Dakota for Dakota Access and, you know, all of these farmers in Nebraska who are none too happy about having their land bisected by this huge, dirty pipeline. Meanwhile, the U.S. Senate confirmed South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley as U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations, even though in her confirmation hearings she would not commit to supporting the United Nations Climate Accord because of her belief that the impact on U.S. industry profits should be balanced against the threat to human civilization. And Democrats supported her anyway? Yes, they did. Way to go, Democrats. Finally, as U.S. climate leadership internationally falters, China is taking the lead. At the recent International World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland, the president of China announced billions in new investments in renewable energy and urged other developed countries to act swiftly on climate change. Making China great again. Way to go, Mr. Trump. For more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyle. And this has been your Trump-era inaugural Green News Report. Well, that was grim, Desi Doyen. <laughs> well, you know. Can you pick and choose the news? Can't you give us only the good news? Wait, there was good news at the end. China taking control. They're going to take the lead. It means we may lose in renewable energy, but it means that maybe the world gets saved after all. It's my hope slim for Slim pickings, Desi Doyen. The slim pick, not your fault. Uh, really, just amazing. All right, uh, we got to get out. Uh, my thanks to uh, to those of you who have stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help us continue to do what we do here on the air, uh, particularly on uh, this week, our 12th anniversary at bradblog.com. So my thanks to all of you. And my thanks to those of you uh, for listening to, to today's uh, program. If you missed any portion of today's or any other, you can download it for free anytime at bradblog.com. Share us. Find us, follow us, and share us on the Facebooks and the Twitters at the Brad Blog, and drop me email if you like. I'm Bradcast at bradblog.com. My thanks to our producer Desi Doyen. Thank you very much for all that you do, and we will see you again uh, on the next thrilling episode of the Bradcast. Until then, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. <laughs> <laughs>